I want to let you know, uh, my friend Pastor John is headed towards the stage, and we're going to encourage him here as he comes up. Pastor John has been serving the Lord for years and years and years, and most of you may know this, but John has been uh, not only just a colleague, but a professor of mine, Pastor Brent's, and hundreds of other pastors all across the Maritimes in the world. He served God with faithfulness. He served God with joy. He served God with integrity for years and years. And I can't wait to see what God has in store through Pastor John today. So, John, I'm excited for it. East, I hope you're ready. Online, I hope you're ready. Valley, are you ready? Give it up for my friend, Pastor John. John, would you lead us? Thanks, Thanks. Hi, everyone. What a great uh, privilege for me to speak to you today here in the Valley and out at East. Uh, Those of you at East are probably wondering... Uh, why I'm not there to greet you today and the reason is because I serve a God who's omnipresent but I'm not can't be there and here has this been a great sermon series these past weeks how to start a fire don't you think I hope it's got your fire burning and uh, I want to be on fire for Jesus Christ don't you and I'm excited about being a part of a church where the fire burns like it does here at King's. There are all kinds of stories about churches on fire and maybe one of the oldest and maybe this is the most tired of all the ones you've heard. A church literally caught on fire one evening and the fire trucks were there and a neighbor, the neighbors were around and there's the pastor standing and watching the fire burn and uh, He comes up beside a man, one of his neighbors, who never darkened the door of the church and said, uh, uh, haven't seen you at church before. And the man said, your church hasn't been on fire before. (laughs) You know what? When a church is on fire, people will come. And when you're on fire, people take notice. They like to be close to someone who's on fire. Just to follow that theme another moment or two, Man on Fire is a 2004 movie starring Denzel Washington. He plays John Creasy, who's a decadent, out-of-work, burned-out ex-CIA operative who has really given up on life. And for lack of something better to do, Creasy accepts a, a job in Mexico City And it's the job of being a bodyguard to a nine-year-old daughter of an industrialist. Creasy barely tolerates the child, the precocious child, but slowly she chips away at his cold heart, and the child whose name is Pita changes the behavior of the indifferent Creasy, making him live again, smile again, and even love again. When Pita is kidnapped then, Creasy becomes a man on fire, fervently and passionately pursuing her captors, and in the end, he gives his life in exchange for hers. And over the next few minutes, I want us together to visit a man truly on fire, the Apostle Paul. We're going to go to one of his letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, And it's truly the words of a a man on fire, a man who fervently and passionately devotes his life to reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. And in the end, Paul the Apostle gave his life to bring them 
the lost people to Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that every one of us might have that kind of fire burning in us. Let's pray together. Father, open this truth for us today and speak to us. May the fire that burned in the Apostle Paul burn in us today. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Let me ask you today, do you need CPR? Everyone knows what CPR stands for, and I suppose it could stand for cell phone repair, but I don't want to talk to you about cell phones uh, today. I barely know how to change my own ringtone. CPO, CPR, I suppose, could stand for Canadian Pacific Railroads, but I don't want to talk to you about railroads either. And I suppose that CPR could stand for children's piano recital. I've certainly spent many hours at those things in my lifetime, but I don't want to talk to you today about recitals. And CPR could stand for coffee provides resuscitation. And that's true for me. I don't have a coherent thought in the morning until I at least have one coffee in me. But you know that when I refer to CPR, everyone here knows, everyone out there knows, that I'm referring to cardiac pulmonary resuscitation. No wonder they use the acronym CPR. And it's a life-saving technique, as you know, useful in many emergencies, such as when someone has a heart attack, when breathing ceases, maybe someone almost drowns, and, and their heart stops beating. And there are some people here today who have been trained to do CPR. Now, I'm not a doctor. If I'm flying and an announcement comes over the intercom on the plane, is there a doctor on board? I don't put my hand up. I'm not a paramedic. And I'm not really very knowledgeable in matters dealing with the physical heart. But I am trained... I am trained in matters dealing with the spiritual heart, not the physical heart, but the spiritual heart. And when I say spiritual heart today, what I'm referring to, what I mean is, is what grips you, what you hold as truth at the core of your being, uh, what you feel deeply, what you love, who you love what you value, what's important to you, how much you love. That's the heart that I want to talk to you about now for a few minutes. So let me ask you, is your heart healthy? Is it? Let's do a self-examination tonight, and let's do it this way. Let's look at a healthy heart and compare it to our own. And the healthy heart that I would like for us to look at for a few minutes belongs to the Apostle Paul. And we can sure see his heart exposed in this scripture that I want to read to you just now. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now I'm going to read to you, and when I pause a moment or two in, every time I pause, I want you to say the next four words in full voice. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. It reads like this. For preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. 
I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't do it. If I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve payment. But God has chosen me and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice. What then is my pay? It is the satisfaction I get from preaching the good news without expense to anyone, never demanding my rights as a preacher. This means I am not bound to obey people just because they pay me, yet I have become a servant of everyone so that I can. When I am with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can. When I am with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same even though I am not subject to the law so that I can. When I am with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and... But I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression so that I might... Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might... I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. Now I ask you tonight, do you see there Paul's healthy heart? He has a heart for people who do not know Jesus Christ to come to know Jesus Christ. He wants and he longs to see, in the words of the King's mission statement, all people in all places embrace the life-giving power of King Jesus. Do you have a heart like that? Do you feel that it is your business to bring them to Christ? Years ago, pastor and author Herschel Ford wrote a book in which he told about a tour guide showing people, a group of people, through Westminster Abbey. After the guide boasted about the classic architecture and the elaborate furnishings and the famous celebrities who had worshipped there, the guide asked this question, are there any questions? One plainly dressed elderly woman put her hand up and said, Yes, sir. Has anyone been saved here lately? She had a heart for people far from God. Do I have a heart like that? Do you? The Apostle Paul sure did. Maybe you and I this evening, today, need CPR to get our heart beating like Paul's healthy heart. Let me try Paul's CPR on you for a few minutes. Are you ready? First, I want you to have Paul's C. I want you to have his convictions. Your convictions are, are the truths that you hold as absolutely fundamental, most important to you. 
It's obvious, isn't it, from the scripture that I just read, what Paul thought was most important, just to visit part of it. I am not bound to obey people just because they pay me, yet I have become a servant of everyone so that I can. And over and over again, he echoes that theme. In the eight verses that we just read, six times we see those words, so that I might bring them to Christ. It's the dominant driving force of Paul's life. Why? Because of his convictions. Simply put, let me share Paul's three dominant convictions, not found in the passage that I just read, but found sprinkled through Paul's writings. Paul's convictions, really, we can boil them down to three. Here's the first. People are lost. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, puts it this way. All have sinned and have separated themselves. Lost. Have separated themselves from God. Paul insists that all have gone their own way. All of us are destined to be separated from God and all good forever in a place that the Bible refers to as hell. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? A young mother came to me in my office about two years ago when I was serving down in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. And she told me that the youth pastor at the church she attended had quit suddenly and left the church and left the ministry. And one of the reasons the young man gave, he said, and he told this to the congregation, that I no longer believe in hell. And as she shared that with me, I could see that it, it shook her up. And I found myself saying to her, I would like not to believe in hell too. But Jesus talked about hell much more than he ever did talk about heaven. People are lost, so very lost. That was Paul's primary conviction. Is that your conviction? Here's Paul's second conviction, needs to be ours. People matter to God. Paul says, all have sinned. In another place, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus put it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. People matter to God. Do you ever think of it this way? People are the only thing that God made to last forever. People are lost. People matter to God. You matter to God. More than you could ever imagine, you matter to God. So people are lost. People matter to God. And here's Paul's third conviction. People need Jesus. He is our only hope. Back to Paul's words, the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus put it this way in his own words. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. People need Jesus. Do you truly believe that? Are these three things your convictions? Do you know the name Colton Burpo? Some of you do not know that name. 
It's the Nebraskan Wesleyan pastor's kid who claimed to visit heaven as he lingered between life and death during an emergency appendectomy when he was four years old. Some of you are coming to it now. The book, Heaven is for Real. If you didn't read the book, maybe you saw the movie. It did the theater round. And in, in the book, his dad began to write the book a year later when, when Colton began to tell him about things he had seen. And, and so his dad, Wesleyan Pastor Todd, says, I began preparing to preside over a funeral at church. The man who had passed away wasn't a member of our congregation, but people in town who don't attend services regularly often want a church funeral for a loved one. Sometimes the deceased is a friend or relative of a church member. Colton must have heard Sonia and me discussing the upcoming service because he walked into the front room one morning and tugged on my shirt tail. Daddy, what's a funeral? Todd goes on, I had done several funerals at church since Colton was born, but he was at that age where he was starting to become more interested in how and why things worked. Well, buddy, uh, a funeral happens when someone dies. A man here in town died, and his family is coming to the church to say goodbye to him. Instantly, Todd writes, Colton's demeanor changed. His face fell into serious lines, and he stared fiercely into my eyes. Dad, did the man have Jesus in his heart? My son was asking me, whether the man who had died was a Christian who had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, but his intensity caught me off guard, says Todd. I'm not sure, Colton, I said. I didn't know him very well. Colton's face bunched up in a terrible twist of worry. He had to have Jesus in his heart, Dad. He had to know Jesus or he can't get into heaven. That was five-year-old Colton Burpo's firm conviction. It was Paul the Apostle's firm conviction. Is it yours? Is it mine? Do you need CPR today? The C stands for convictions. Paul's were three. Yours must be three, these three. People are lost. People matter to God. People need Jesus. We must have those convictions. Let me take you on now, CPR. The P stands for passion. Paul had a tremendous passion for lost people. My dictionary defines passion as an intense, overpowering feeling for a cause. In these scripture verses, you had to notice the scriptures we read moments ago, these, in these verses, Paul's passion oozes from every verse. Just a brief visit back. I am compelled by God to preach the good news. How terrible for me if I don't do it. God has chosen and given me this sacred trust. I have no choice. You can't read his words without sensing the intensity 
of his feeling that people need to come to Christ. It's certainly an intense and overpowering feeling for him. It's his passion. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the office, as you go to the mall, as you drive by the Tim's, go through the Tim's drive-thru, does it occur to you, does it occur to you that the person, every person you meet, 10,000 times 10,000 years from today will be alive somewhere? Do you feel that? Is it your passion? Everybody has a passion. Back in the year 2008, I was asked to do something I'd never been asked to do before, and I probably will never be asked to do it again. And if I am asked, I'm going to say no. The person on the other end of the phone said, Pastor, uh, we're inviting Fredericton area pastors to come and down to Speedway 660 in Gary, New Brunswick, and race against each other. <laughs> well, I said, that sounds like fun. I'll be there. Fourteen pastors showed up, and I won. <laughs> I was the faster pastor. That was, the, that was what they called me. I think I have a picture here of the faster pastor. And it was fun. You know, you know anybody can drive a racing car. It's... it's, it's uh, well, my, yes, uh, you just put the pedal on the floor and turn left, and that's what I did. And, and during the race, I developed a tremendous passion to win that race. I just felt, I'm not going to let anybody get by me. And uh, I even made one guy run into the guy in front of him. because I. <laughs> but I need to tell you this evening that racing a car is not a passion of mine. No, if they call again, I'm not. Interested. I did it once, and I don't want to race again. I'm a fan of the New York Yankees, now on vacation for a week. It's not a passion of mine. I'm a fan of the Detroit Red Wings, but it's not a passion of mine. Bringing lost people to Jesus Christ was Paul the Apostle's passion, and I want it to be a deeply held passion of mine. What makes your heart beat faster? We need Paul's convictions, and we need Paul's passion, and here's the R. We also need Paul's sense of responsibility. I want you to go back and just visit two or three verses. I want you to notice the personal pro pronouns in this scripture. Hear them, hear them. I am compelled by God to do it, he writes. How terrible for me, if I didn't do it, if I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve, wouldn't, would deserve payment. But God, Paul writes, has chosen me and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice. Paul recognized that this matter of bringing people to Jesus Christ was his personal responsibility, and I recognize it's mine as a pastor. But listen to me. If we as pastors cannot convince you that it's your responsibility too, then we will never, ever get the job done. 
we all must be convinced of these great two-letter, ten two-letter words. Here they are. If it is to be, it is up to me. There are lost people. There are lost people in your world, in your sphere of influence, that you will be instrumental in bringing to Jesus Christ or they will never be reached. This next picture I want to show you is Tessa. She's my granddaughter. She's not quite four in this picture, and she's a lot older than that today. She's here this evening, and if you see her standing next to me after the service, she's about here now. So this was a few years ago. But when Tessa was just four, she believed that bringing people to Jesus Christ was her responsibility and her job, too. One day she said to her grandmother, Grammy, you pretend you don't know who God is, and I'll pray, and you ask me what I'm doing, okay? You know how kids like to pretend. So Grammy says, okay, so Tessa's praying, and says, Grammy, Tessa, what are you doing? Tessa says, I'm talking to God. And says, Grammy, who's God? And Tessa said this, you can say this, God is our Father, and he loves you, and he loves me. Now, she's a child of divorce, and she added this words, and he always knows where your mother and father are. You don't need to use those words, but every one of us can say, God loves you. He truly loves you. People so very much need to know God loves them and has a plan for them and has a plan for life to the full now and forever. Do you believe that? Do you need CPR? We all need Paul's convictions. We all need Paul's passion. And we all need Paul's personal sense of responsibility. One of the books in my library that I cherish the most, I bought it when I was visiting that great church southeast in Louisville, Kentucky, about 16 years ago. Bought the book and got the pastor to sign it, Bob Russell. And I cherish that book. And this is one of the stories that he tells near the end of the book. He says, let's imagine that you could take a quantum leap in time and that you landed in Southampton, England in mid-April 1912. And you see a newspaper headline that reads, Titanic to set sail on maiden voyage today. What would you do? Why, you would race to the harbor and try to persuade as many people as possible not to get on board. You'd probably have very little success. People would say things like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean you know the future? An iceberg, 1,500 people die. Come on, quit trying to spoil my vacation. Didn't you hear not even God can sink this ship? And you'd watch while hundreds sail away on the ill-fated vessel headed towards certain death. Then what would you do? 
Russell writes, well, if you, if you cared about the people on that ship, you'd rent a boat and you'd chase after them. What size boat would you get? Would you go after them with a, a motorboat that would hold six people or a houseboat that would hold 30? No, you'd rent the biggest yacht you could possibly afford and you'd risk everything knowing that hundreds of lives were in the balance. Hear me now. If it is true that man's sin has separated him from God for all eternity, and if it is true that Jesus is the Son of God who came to this earth to die for sin. And if it is true that only through Jesus Christ can we have forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life, then you and I must do everything we can to bring them to Christ. What can you and I do? Can I make several suggestions before we pray together. I'll mention each one and tell you how I'm going to pray the closing prayer and then when I play the, pray the closing prayer to the sermon, not the service, then I think you'll be ready. I hope you will to pray with me. Here's the first. I want you to pray for yourself. Pray that God would shape your heart, change your heart, and help you to see lost people the way Paul the Apostle saw lost people. So that's the first one. Pray for yourself. Here's the second thing. Pray for the lost people, the lost people in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your neighborhood, your family, your relatives. Pray for them by name. Prayers like this. Father, as Jason puts his head on the pillow tonight, I pray that his mind would think about you and that he would lay there considering that perhaps the God-shaped hole down inside of him, it's you that he needs. Pray for yourself. Pray for them by name. Number three, look for opportunities to do acts of kindness. Ask the Father. I tell you, if you do this, the Father will do it. Be prepared this week. Ask the Father to give you opportunities to interact with them beyond what you normally would give you opportunities to love them to do some kindness to be with them talk to them and here's the fourth next Sunday if, if this is your church or East is your church what a, great, what a great week for me to tell you this invite them to Kings invite them to come there's fire here folks and people love to come to see a fire burn Agree, maybe you need to make a deal with them. Agree to pick them up. That would be the best. The next best would be to wait out there until they arrive and meet them there. Make a plan after the service. Maybe you're going to Tim's together or whatever. Will you do these four things? Will you? Will you pray with me just now? Father, Change our hearts, I pray. 
Help us to see lost people the way you see them. Let us see people through your eyes. Help us to see people the way to have Paul's convictions and his passion and his sense of responsibility. Father, even now, as I stand here praying, we're all praying, you're sending faces across our mind's eye today of lost people in our family, relatives and friends and neighbors and people we work with. And Father, as we see their faces, we speak their name and ask that that their last thought at night would be about you and thinking that you love them. We know that you do. Bring people across their paths that can have influence on them besides us too. Give us opportunity these, this week, these days, to interact with people and love them and do acts of kindness. Give us an opportunity and a boldness to boldly invite them to come to Kings with us. Father, help us all to do our part to bring them to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.